Uh, what, Jake? Oh, yeah. Okay, I everybody clap. This. I'll sync. We have to clap, though. Uh, so, But I'll, I'll include this first part in, but I'll still sync to this clap. All right. I'm gonna, oh, I'm shit. Well, I wasn't, I wasn't so. recording the first part. You ready? Oh, dang it. <laughs> okay, I thought we were still well, on intro. We won't have Jake's audio for the first part anyway. I thought we were still on the intro. All right, whatever. No, I have been recording for like 17 minutes. <laughs> God damn it. All right, ready? Three, two, one, clap. We had a whole conversation around it. One. All right. Three, two, one. Second clap. Clap. Really, Jake? Was I late? I legitimately tried to you be on time. You were late because you went second clap. <laughs> I wanted to distinguish it. <laughs> it's fine. I'll, I'll figure it out. Okay. Okay. Today we're going to try and talk about uh, what we came to last time and hopefully get Jake's audio this time. So, uh, we came to this topic that esports need to be analyzed and viewed as sports instead of games or traditional games in that sense. In the previous podcast, uh, and I think the topic itself deserves its own podcast episode, and I feel like you guys both agree with it since Mazzy was like, we should write a paper on it. Yes, but podcasts are way easier than papers, so this is a better decision. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so I don't know what you guys want to talk about in this episode, uh, whether or not we want to continue to find similarities between popular esports and sports or if we want to look at how could we improve some struggling esports by viewing it as a sport instead i mean i think the one i i want to talk about in that specific regard is uh match the gathering uh the second one i talked about or the first one the building them like as two a, questions building them as a like viewing them as a sport Oh, okay. Right. So the second, the second one. Yeah. Um. I guess the first one applies. I I think I think with regard to the first one, real quick, is that the there's now been enough esports that if you have a good amount of experience playing them, like if you've been playing for like five or ten years, you can feel like without even really knowing the specifics of the game, you can feel a game that was designed as a sport and one that wasn't. Yeah. You're also big on the tactile feel of stuff, which I feel like this kind of fits into your, I don't want to say what, thought process or whatever, like whether or not it feels like something. Because I remember like way back when you were talking about the feel of a game, and I think it was during the creative process one where you go based on how, how satisfying does it feel to do X, Y, and Z when designing it. Yeah, the, the touch sensation of it all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is why I feel like uh, I hear you say, well, it feels like a sport or it feels like this. And if we dig deeper, we can probably figure out why it feels like a sport, but it just seems like a popular verb for you or a descriptor. I don't know yeah. how else to explain well, it. Well, feel is kind of like a cat. It's an amalgam term that encompasses both the general tightness of the rules, a general demeanor of the player base, and a general attitude of the designer, both during and then in maintenance of it right mm -hmm. so you look at like csgo and it was always built tight and it was always built with being competitive in mind it may not have been built like an esport exactly because we're going back a very very long way at this point in terms of the evolution of games right but then you look at overwatch which as much as i love it it's a sloppy mess. Yeah. Like, the the damage wasn't built right, the hitboxes weren't built right, the levels aren't built right. And when you play it and you try to take it that to that serious place that you go when you're competitive, it's not there. And when you look at Magic the Gathering Arena, that is where you start to see that tightness of design. And part of that is that Magic's rules are the tightest rules around. There's a legal document, they're immaculately well-maintained, the judges are well-trained for them, like, at least for the most part. 
And you're dealing with a system that thrives on the fact that its rules are so well built. So when you take a look at Arena as a video game, and this is where that conversation around Magic the Gathering as an eSport has such an issue with it, right? Where some people are vehemently opposed that Magic the Gathering is just not supposed to be an eSport. Right, okay, Magic the Gathering is a paper game that's being adapted to a digital format. There are issues that come with that. There are problems that come with that. One of them being that you've got roughly 30 years worth of cards to implement. End of day, though, that game is built like an eSport, even if it doesn't get played as one. Maybe we want to, like, when we say built as an eSport, do we want to talk about, are we referencing the comeback moments that we talked about in the highlights episode that went up last week, where you have... Moments where the game can turn for you. You have moments where you feel like you've won or lost based on it, or what? It, like, what? What do we want to? How? How does it define itself as an esport, even though some people do not view it as such? So I, that makes sense. I think the first thing that I want to bring up to that question, I think we're gonna have to ask that question six times to prime ourselves. Yeah. First thing I want to bring up is a limited amount of RNG. Not zero RNG, because that's no good either. But for the most part, not good either. But limited RNG, right? Magic right. the Gathering doesn't do two to four damage per card. It does whatever's printed on the card. You can do right. mathematical theorems. I was watching a streamer, I think it was Day9. I think that was his name. It was the first time I ever watched him. I, apparently he streams a lot. I was watching him. And all he talked about was the statistics behind his desk, deck, and it was one of the most fascinating approaches I had seen where he could look at his hand and explain to you the probability of the draw hitting his combo and therefore his win rate off of the cards that he could see in his hand. And it was right. pretty accurate from what I could tell. Now, granted, I'm not a statistician and I did not watch a lot of him, so my sample size is small and my math is... Certainly not as good as many people's, but the fact that you can do that means the RNG is limited in such a way that you always know what your outs are. And that's where poker is, it has that poker-esque quality to it. I can look at a situation and go, okay, in this, it, when we attack a choke point, right, in CSGO, if I stop here, aim this way, throw the smoke, the smoke hits, they won't be able to see this area. Your enemy's on the other side going, if they smoke here, I have to move there. And it's that give and take that you see in, say, like football, where, okay, they're running a screen, or they're going for a deep pass, or the running back is looking to make a hole, and you're seeing all of those things occur. Your opponents generally know what's going on, and it comes down to actual execution and every once in a while, fate intervenes and makes life a little spicy. Versus, I don't want to keep ba- I don't want to keep banging on Overwatch. Oh, but we gonna. No, but I mean like versus say Fortnite, right? Where your Ooh. your damages are ranged from what I remember of Fortnite. The building is very awkward in terms of like whether or not this is accurate, and I'm pretty sure that. You know, you're already playing a Battle Royale, so the loot that you're getting is random. You don't get to pick your loot, which is part of why I think Battle Royales are inhibited from becoming an eSport. That amount of inherent randomness is problematic no matter what. Versus yeah, being able I... to go, okay, I know every card in the 60-card pile, and I know exactly what I can do. Or I bought dual Berettas, which are, you know, obviously that's a crap gun, and I'm baiting our audience, I guess, a little bit there. Sorry. Um but I still know what my damage does, and I still know where the hitboxes are, and I still know what the the absolute capabilities of this are completely defined. And from here on out, it's player skill and a little bit of technology that's going to really decide how this goes. I'll shut up. I've been talking for literally four minutes. I guess uh, I'm going to try to bring in like the layman's perspective, because I don't play Magic, and I'll be an idiot about this. Where is the Where is the skill coming in? Because like in CS:GO, your ability to manipulate your arm is like you know it's just a kind of an inherent skill. Uh, some people are just naturally good at it; uh, they're gifted with that muscle control. Like where is yeah, um, where um, 
where does the skill come in in magic? Is it the deck building or is it like the understanding and ability of holding those numbers in your head? So Mazio oh. and I, I think, actually, maybe, I think it was Mazio and I had this conversation where the skill to build decks is so undervalued. I think outside of, outside of the magic community. Outside, yeah, yeah, outside of the magic community, like a lot of skill goes into building your deck. And like Mazio said or brought up, this person had huge amounts of statistics on like his win rate, his draw rate, whatever. Constructing that deck so that one, there's an engine that's possible to be fired, and for you to hopefully win the game, that you have enough saves or whatever, that you have enough cards that combat the RNG slightly to get you the cards that you need, be it card draw, whatever, right? Is a really big skill to have. Uh, and a lot of professional Magic players, I think, value that skill a lot or are very good at deck building. But there's also another skill that comes into play that um, happens when you're actually playing the cards. Um, and whether or not you hold this card or spend this spell to negate this one, or do you wait and hope that they have a bigger one? Can, uh, can I get some play concrete examples this, of this card first to trigger all these abilities? So, like, my... Uh, I heard you, Mazzy, but give me a second. Yeah. So, like, my my deck... I never play meta. <laughs> Why? I don't know. It's just... Usually the meta's not fun for me to play. So I always end up playing whatever I find fun and enjoyable to do, which usually involves me watching a lot of things trigger off of one another. So knowing which card needs to be played first so that I get the maximum amount of triggered stacks or whatever uh, is also a skill that is like developed with that specific deck. Uh, I would call that skill piloting, by the way. Oh, cool. I don't know what that means, but yeah, sure. Well, because you... So... In, in the exact vein of what Amanda's saying, and this in the example that we're giving, the guy was playing a Tybalt's Trickery deck, which will date this podcast for anybody who knows Magic the Gathering and is utterly meaningless for those that don't. But it's a combo deck, and functionally what that means is he needs three cards to go off in a specific order, and he has to know what the setup is and what the probabilities are. But more importantly than that, he also has to read what his opponent may or may not have. And Jake, I know you've been in chat on nights when I'm playing Magic, particularly with Kevin in chat who... Hi, Kevin. Uh, not the Kevin that used to edit the podcast. Different Kevin. For those of you at home keeping score <laughs> of my Kevin count. Um, and I, I'm sitting there, I'm giving the dialogue of, like, if, he, if the opponent has this, I'm in trouble. If the opponent has that, I've already won. In all probability, I'd say my odds are about 70% because... This particular meta deck tends to have the like does not trend this way or it does trend that way, and this person's deck this person's deck was a it's a net deck it's an internet deck that that person sculpted into their own and that variance ability is exactly what we're talking about where from the outside you're going what's the big deal you downloaded a deck you built it and you played it but really. You observed a deck, you sculpted it into your playstyle to maximize your natural instincts, then you inherently internalized all of the cards, the order they need to happen in, the statistical probability of them happening, and then read your opponent to make sure that when you actually executed it, they can't break the combo. Yeah, I will say, while it's not as visually entertaining uh knowing and reading your opponent's deck in magic is similar to me playing apex and seeing a squad in the distance and trying to figure out what their next move is and it's, it's the same mentality of i'm trying to figure out how my opponent's deck works before they figure out mine and before before i am in such deep shit with their deck that there's nothing i can do about it which is another skill is like how many cards do they have to play before you figure out, ah, that's what the fuck your deck does. Uh, and then you have to come up with a counter solution that exists somewhere in your deck. Or if you're playing uh, with a sideboard, they, there's some card in your sideboard to save you next round. Um, I have a Jake example for this, too. Oh, yeah, I'm excited. It's, it's, it's similar to me when I'm playing Apex, and I'm trying to figure out which way 
<laughs> which the squad which of way is death and which way is victory? Which which way is death and which way is victory? And then I also have to account some randoms. In Magic, it's going to be what card I draw next if I don't have a way to specifically get the card I need. And in Apex, it's which, which way Wiggles is going to run because he didn't listen to me. So, you know. <laughs> or or are your opponents alts charged? Or, yeah, or are my opponents alts charged? Or your alts charged. Are you at 96%? And, like, can you hold here for the last 4%? Or do you have to move and hope it's charged in time? How close is my uh, big hitter to draw in my magic deck? Well, I have X cards left. I've pulled out this many cards. That means this percentage is most likely lands. And I have this much of a chance to pull my big hitter out. Same thing. And I really same like mindset for me. Well, when you look at League of Legends, right? It's the same thing as knowing, Jake, that if they're attacking a vision ward on dragon, they're probably going dragon, and if you're jungle and you're on you can go herald while they're going dragon. Or knowing gotcha. that you can push a lane because there's a battle happening on the other side of the map and you can take a tower before they get back here. And it's that kind of board reading where you're just like yeah. oh, okay, we can do this now. Yeah. And I think in that exact same vein, and I think this is part of what inhibits... I mean, I actually like Apex quite a bit, even though I don't play it terribly often. I just want to say, I personally think Apex is the best Battle Royale out there still. It still has maintained its top spot for me. I I I think Battle Royale has a couple of issues that need to be addressed to make it a sport. Well, so I do want to clarify, Apex has, like, multi-million dollar tournaments. Yeah. Yeah. I, like, they're, they're big tournaments, but it I, just it doesn't get the same spotlight that a lot of other sports do. I think it's broadcast poorly, though. I think if you took Battle yeah. Royales and you showed the audience a, an unfogged map so that I could actually see where everyone's going, and you were commenting on why you felt different teams were making different decisions... That's very, very yeah. watchable versus what you do get to watch is like whatever this poor person that you're following around can One see. One person's perspective, yeah. I If you don't know they're walking into a trap, there's no tension there for you to have a release as an audience. Like, you're as surprised as they are. They're dead and you have no idea what happened. Yeah, and I, I do want to clarify. We have shitted on Overwatch a lot, but I think the Overwatch commentators that they had back when we would watch it in the analysis and the analysts prior to them getting rid of a number of people were really great. I think they honestly made Overwatch more enjoyable for me to watch. And then a lot of them left for obvious reasons because they didn't fix the eSport. Uh, but I will say Overwatch at least had that going for them is where they like heavily invested in the broadcasting. I, I would agree with that statement. I would also agree that you know, not, not to Rail Blizzard, but I think the opportunity was just missed. Yeah. And I think the opportunity was missed because Blizzard wants to build certain types of games and an eSport does not fit the model of a Blizzard game. Yeah. I'd agree with that. Also, on the Battle Royale thing, they actually do do that. I um. Oh, do they? Way back when. Yeah, way back when. I actually played. I don't know in, if they uh, do it with Apex, but I I think Jake's right. They do it with other ones. Sorry. Yeah, they do. They they do it with PUBG. I played in um the Catawise qualifiers in like 2018. So I was like, yeah, I was in like a you know semi pro, about to be pro tournament. We were like, I think we were like two kills off of actually going. Is this the one where you hid in a bush? I hid in a bush. People? Yeah, it it, yeah. it was the most ridiculous <laughs> thing in the world. Like <laughs> because like I I'm not a professional esports player i'm not a professional fps player in the slightest i'm a very amateur level player but i was almost able to go to poland because i hid in a bush like (laughs) (laughs) that's ridiculous i was that story was so good two spots off of going to play in katowice like you're talking like katowice this is where major major csgo tournaments happen we're like oh my gosh the whole thing is ridiculous I want to say this story was brought up in a previous podcast episode where we talked about competition in games. So check that out. None of us remember which one it is, so start digging. (laughs) So good luck. (laughs) Yeah, good luck finding that. But um, I think part of the problem was, too, really the loot system. Like, when I'm playing a Battle Royale and I'm trying to win, I'm trying to get my win percentage the highest, I'm executing the same moves pretty much 
in every game. And it's it's partially dependent on like the plane path. I'm going to reference PUBG for this because that's what I've played the most of. But I, I'm dropping probably high pop and I'm looking to get early kills, get kitted. And if I win that fight, I'm in a pretty good position to win the game. And generally, if I can get good at winning early fights, then I'm going to have a pretty high win percentage. And that generally works pretty well. Um, there are other strategies you can play. You can go low population and you could try to get kitted and wait and you will generally get higher on the leaderboard, I think more consistently, but you're going to have less wins because you're not going to be as kitted and you're not going to be as experienced with fighting. So, but it's all relative to like, well, let's see how the dice landed. Let's see how maybe we went Pachinki and there's no loot. And like, you know, we're just going to come out of here with absolutely terrible guns. And we didn't really get in a fight because everybody ran away because they got scared. And that was that. And that's going to be a terrible game. And really, there's nothing wrong with the strategy because the strategy is exactly consistent every time. Um, It's just the overwhelmingly large role that RNG plays in Battle Royale games. So I do want to say we also talked about when it comes to a competitive game back when we did our competition podcast we talked about how there's a rate at which rng can be present in the game and it still be considered a competitive game or have a chance but there needs to be ways to overcome that or whatever have you right so like Mm -hmm. magic has a lot of cars that are like play this card and fetch a land or play this card and search your deck for whatever card you want, right? So that kind of like helps counteract the RNG a bit. Yeah. Apex recently, like every season update and every patch has been, we're adding things to try and even out like the loopholes and the randomness of you dropping and landing with zero loot. Uh, so I think you're you're right on the head is that they acknowledge that the RNG factor in Battle Royales is a little bit too high for them to continue to push into the esports category, I guess, even further, become as famous as they want it to. Mm-hmm. But, like, Apex started adding, like, crafting items so that every time you open a loot crate, uh, you get, like, a, p- a portion of materials. And there's also, like, material little things that you can pick up around the map. And then they have a rotation of, like, today you can craft these materials at the... Uh, Crap, I forget the name of it. Whatever. There's a thing that you can... Yeah, it's a crafting station. I forget. There's a specific name for it, but I forget right now. Uh, So then you can craft, like, that helmet, or you can improve your shield thing by, like, 100 points or whatever. Um, And then they also allowed you to drop... You drop with no shields, but if you do 100 damage, you automatically get a shield. Um, So they, they are trying to fix that up. There's more, like, quote-unquote vaults, but lesser vaults around the older maps, so that loot distribution is a little more even. Yeah, I mean, to Apex's credit, I think that they do a a much better job than PUBG ever did, which, I mean, in my opinion, is part of the reason for the wane of PUBG's popularity and their esports scene seemingly evaporating. I mean, I could be wrong about that, but I'm pretty sure I'm right. Um, You know, like, Apex, you're you're kidding your character. Like, you're, you're picking a character that has your Q ability, right? On, I think that's mm-hmm. the right key for that. On yeah. uh, on drop. Like, you can get good at playing with Wraith's abilities and absolutely own people. Um, yeah, she has a high uh, pick percentage. I absolutely levels. love Wraith. That, that was my character when I played. Um, yeah. Yeah, but you, you're actually, you have a bit more agency over your class. And, you know, to Call of Duty's credit, Warzone actually does this pretty well with their um their custom class abilities so you can you can purchase your custom class and have it drop to you later in the game um or maybe you just get it instantly i don't play a lot of warzone but i watched a lot of it and i was thinking to myself that is that's a really good way to even it out because if somebody wants to play with a certain class they just need to get enough money that they can get that so by like early to mid game if you're doing well enough you've got your guns and you can actually get into the part of the game where it is, I'm playing my class. I'm not playing, well, I found a car in the school, and it's got one bullet, and then I have a pan with me that I'm going to wear on my back just in case. 
And that's that's my loot, I guess. Let's go to the final circle and see if I can, you know, 360 no-scope with this one. Yeah, in PUBG, that happens all the time. Like, that makes you want to cry. Yeah, I have, I have one car 98 how sad and it is to play uh, that game. You know, that game feels terrible to play nowadays. I tried a couple months ago, and it is just horrendous. Um, so, yeah, it's 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 not... I, I have a question for you guys. Do you think that Battle Royale fundamentally was not built to be an eSport, and that's what's holding it back? Because that's no, kind of my inkling. I don't agree with no, that. I, I think it was actually built for, like for the competition. Because like a battle to the death to the last man standing is inherently competitive. Well, can, also it has it also has stabilized maps, stabilized yeah. goals. It has a repeat gameplay pattern for its loop, which are all esport traits, and and resetting. And it resets, and I think that in that is the problem where we're trying to take this thing that is relatively young and hold it to the standard of a MOBA or an FPS or a card game. Be like, why aren't you as good as this game that's six times older than you or ten times older than you. Well, <laughs> that's not fair. <laughs> you know, and I think that if if Apex doesn't solve it, I think we're within two or three games of solving it. Where this is yeah. this is what it's going to do. And then it's going to be a question of flavor. Right? Which, if they're smart, it'll be cartoony like Fortnite. Because schools won't allow... Speaking of somebody who is starting esports at his public school that he teaches at, um, we will not allow realistic violence, but we will allow cartoon violence all day long. So, devs, if you're listening, make that stuff shiny and happy so that I can have the children shoot each other. Looney Tune style. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that that, too, is part of part of the concern with some of this, where the game on the horizon, like the I guess the further horizon at the moment that I'm very interested in and watching watching everything for, is the new Rainbow Six. Oh, Siege. Yeah, the new like whatever the, whatever the new one's yeah. gonna be when it comes out. I'll find the name of it. I no, I don't mean the name. I mean like literally, is it gonna be is it gonna be an evolution here? Right. Because the concept of a point defense game, right? CSGO into Rainbow Six Siege into the next Rainbow Six game. I'm very interested. I've played these intermittently. I enjoy that as a premise. It has all the right traits for an eSport. It's going to be realistic violence, which has its own set of rules, but very curious. So, I'm going to relate this back to real sports a little bit so what do real sports have in common with these more popular esports and i think it goes back to some of the feelings uh or those comeback moments that we talked about in the highlights episode are we gonna you mean morally questionable players or no like nothing for that i thought that was a pretty good uh, <laughs> well it is but <laughs> I'm focused on one topic, so don't derail me. Uh, football has rules and regulations for interceptions and fumbles, which are kind of those comeback moments, right? Even if it's not your ball, you still have a chance to get a ball back and make a play, right? Yes, unless Tom Brady's the one throwing it, and then the refs will make sure that it goes where it's supposed to. <laughs> <laughs> So little bit of salt right there. Oh my gosh, I'm so tired <laughs> of Brady. Um, so sports naturally have these comeback moments. Um, maybe it's not as clearly defined in others. Like soccer, you can still inter quote unquote intercept a pass. It's not called intercept, but like if one of your teammates on soccer is passing, you can come in and steal that ball, right? So long as you're not offsides. Uh. And like run off with it, right? <laughs> don't even. Go with that. I I look. I literally played soccer, but I don't remember any of the terminology, so it's all gone. Foot stuff. Poof. Got it. Good shit, right? <laughs> um, and whenever I played volleyball, a similar thing would happen: is that it wasn't game over as soon as the other team was set up to spike correctly. Your back line still had a chance to, like, destroy their arms or knees and save uh, the team from the spike, knock it back up in the air, and keep playing. And it's those, those comeback moments, one, 
allow there to be energy or in constant motion in the game. There's never Tension. like a what? Tension. Yeah, yeah. Well, I also think it keeps the gameplay flowing. There's no like there's not a lot of stagnant bits. Like at any moment you could lose your chance to make a play here. At any moment, the game could not be going your way. And yeah, you're right. It, it is the tension that it has that involves. And I think it's that tension that needs to be replicated in a video game, which again, we talked about a little bit in the last podcast, for the video game to actually become an eSport. And also the reset uh, and a little bit of limited RNG. Uh, because football players don't show up to the field and be like, I just bought a new equipment to make my arm throw farther because of my stat boosts. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> imagine. <laughs> uh, so I want to talk about uh, a game that was set up to be a very competitive esport that I think failed. Or fell off really quickly because it was lacking these feelings that sports have. And does anyone want to take a guess what it is? Is it PUBG? Is it Overwatch? Valorant. Let's talk oh about Valorant. Oh my gosh. Oh, Valorant. I forgot yeah, that existed. Yeah, I forgot that exists, right? Spyware the game. Spyware the game. Uh, Valorant did have some key features to set it itself up as an eSport. And this is made by Riot, right? So Riot already has League under their belt, so they, they should know what they're doing, right? Mm -hmm. You reset each time. There's some building your character customization, right? Yeah, it's, it's CS. It's CS clone. Yeah. Through and through. I think what it's missing is that Dude. there's not enough room for tension because things are over so quickly. Oh, I, and there's not very many comeback moments at all in that game from me watching about like 80 plus hours of streamer streaming. So Valorant... I thought the map designed... So we're not going to say that game. Valorant's missing like self-respect and dignity? That too. No. <laughs> we're going to focus on the design aspects, but you're also not wrong in that. I have none of that, so I played a good deal of the game. Um, and it... It wasn't bad. I mean, it was. It, it felt like a natural evolution of CS:GO. Like, okay, cool. Now that we know that everybody likes class-based things for some reason, which, to be honest with you, I kind of don't. Um, let's give you that, and that'll be fun. Except for the fact that I I don't know how well that works in the CS formula. To be honest with you, like, yeah, it's it's great. You can pick who you're playing, and like, there's team comps and adds another layer of complexity. But then they kind of just didn't really execute it well. Like, what What was it? Was it Ray's? The one with the rocket launcher. I'm going to look it up. Give me one second so I get this name right. For those of you listening who don't know what Valorant is, it is a CSGO clone, but each character has their own unique abilities, similar to Overwatch does. Uh, they have an ultimate, and then I think two or three additional abilities. Um... Yeah. And then it's also a um oh crap what's the title it's quick to kill low they've got they've got four what uh, is it called abilities oh um, it's called a certain thing oh time to kill yeah it's, it has a it has a uh, low time to kill but <laughs> what is it? it's called something it's like a spe special category but I can't remember it right now I mean you can one tap people if that's what you're talking about yeah well like think about it like whenever I watch many many hours of streamers play the game. <laughs> confrontations are over and maybe like five seconds if you're lucky more oh. like two yeah no it's like right yeah like if, there was no room for you to have like tension and excitement when it resolved right it was just like uh uh, uh oh what what happened what happened oh oh he oh he did okay you see i'm okay with that uh, i don't i don't mind the low time to kill because i do think it kind of it doesn't need to be instantaneous, but I think it needs to be pretty low with a high skill ceiling to get that low time to kill um, for a good a good FPS, um, a good competitive 5-on-5 five five shooter. But So like I, I'm fine with the way CS handles it. I'm fine with the way the Valorant handles their shooting. I, I think that the guns are pretty good. Uh, I actually really enjoy the gunplay. But do you feel like, bit. not from a player perspective, from an audience watching it, 
Is it entertaining to watch people die within a second of seeing someone? Mm, I mean, no. Is that person Tom Brady? <laughs> Masio. Asking for a friend. <laughs> no, Masio. Tom, no, no, listening. the fun plays in CS, like the fun plays to watch in CS, and like Fuck if you, you go watch a highlight reel, it's going to be <laughs> somebody doing like some insane ninja defuse or like getting off like a crazy uh, push onto a point. Uh, but really, the low time to kill makes those possible. Those insane like 1v5 moments. Um, it definitely it changes the those type of highlight. victories. Yeah. Right, I uh, think from an audience perspective, it fell off so quickly because you had to sit through a match where most of the time people are moving incredibly slowly around this map. Right, because they're going to die at any second. So they're, they're looking like every moment's second. their last. They're just trying to get that one more piece of pizza. Yeah, so it is slow, 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 slow. Sharp spike, they're dead. Or sharp spike, they killed someone. And you're like, oh, okay. And then like two seconds later, dead. There's, I feel like there's a, I feel like Mazio, you may be able to explain this in write, like in writing better what happens or like when you're writing scripts or something, but you want, you need moments to build tension before it just resolves. You mean the word pacing? Yeah. 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 Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Mazio, uh, word monkey, come forth <laughs> and sort through this, raise <laughs> it unto the gods. <laughs> Please use your many English degrees <laughs> to aid me here. Um, MFA, I choose you, throws Pokeball. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Sadness thank you. pours out. Dead Squirtle. Um, I feel like it's fine from a player's perspective and playing it if you're into those type of games, but to watch, it's just really boring because there's no, there's no buildup of tension of you're like, oh, 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 that was close. Whereas... Apex, I think at times it's a little bit, firefights take a little too long and you run into the opposite problem. So there has, there's a sweet spot, but there's moments where like you were about to die in Apex and you made it to cover, healed up, and now you're back at it or. Damn it, go in on this you, point, you have it. Yeah. No, no, like, you. Yeah. Do you not or see like, it? Or like you were able, sorry, or I was going to continue on my story and then you just like. <laughs> no, you're killing me. Go, go, say your point. No, what you're saying is the, 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 the reason you watch a sport is to watch that craftiness between two people executing as close to flawlessly as possible. But you play a game for completely different reasons. Yeah. And the problem is that the tension that's created by playing a game does not equate to the tension from watching a game. Yeah. You're right there, and you're you're literally murdering me. My well, rabbits sorry, left I the was, room I, because I'm flailing around. I I literally was gonna continue on with my apex train of thought, where I was like, "There's a reason." Like apex has so many moments where, even if like a squad mate is down, if one squad mate can pull fire and you can run over and revive them, which is a great mechanic that apex added and was a, a fantastic thing, right? Bring them back up. It's suddenly like three on two again, and you can come back. And that that moment of tension of watching them, and they say, "Oh my god!" Like you just picked up that person. Like now it's three on two again. Like let's see how this plays out. It's just so much more entertaining than immediate death. Uh, but yeah, Messi. What Messi's point? No, is, you know what? Correct. I think you're right. I do. I, I I think that 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 type of instantaneous oh uh, win loss. All right, rounds over is uh in itself not exciting. I think CS:GO matches become exciting within the context of the score of the entire game because there's weight on what's happening. But if you just took a snippet of just like one round, um that in and of itself is not going to be very engaging. I I think, you know, Valorant tries to address this with like Sage, uh their healer. But what are we oh, going to Oh, yeah, she can revive people. Yeah, she can res people, but like we're going to pick a Sage every game and she's not going to have the res every single time right. you have to buy your abilities in valorant like it's not mercy, it's mercy hit yeah. r win game yes or mercy, hit, r mercy win hit, hit q win q. game it's q. literally mercy minus wings and like and you know it minus a lot to be honest with you it's not mercy so i think that's something else we have to consider when designing these games or when developers are designing these games is that if you want it to be an esport you can't just be building it from the player perspective. You have to be 
focused on building it so that it's satisfying from an audience perspective, which is a completely different mindset from when you're building regular games, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're if you're building regular games, you are, are practically only thinking about the player's yeah. perspective. Well, probably should. You don't. You don't care who's watching this player. <laughs> it's like the Burke yeah. Kreischer bit where he tries a porn move with his wife, and she's like, "Are you recording this?" And he goes, "Oh, the only way you, the only reason you do it that way is so somebody could watch it." I get it now. <laughs> that's what we're talking about, though, right? Like, it's an accurate point. Yeah. I mean, it is. I I hate that that's the right way to make that point, but it is. <laughs> No, I mean, Valorant for me did two things wrong. Raze and the map design. And, you know, I'm no expert level designer, so I'm not going to sit here from my armchair and say that I could make a better one, but they didn't feel fun to play. From the player's perspective, they didn't feel fun to play, and watching people play um, in the limited capacity that I did, it didn't. it wasn't interesting. Like, ah, the teleport was kind of cool, but it felt very gimmicky, and honestly, I didn't see it get used very much. It it wasn't that cool. It really wasn't. And then the abilities were, honestly, thinking about it more, they're they're very quick. Ray's is the one that I have the biggest issue with. She fires a rocket launcher that can actually kill you. So that just breaks the entire design philosophy of all of the rest of the characters in the game, which don't have, primarily don't have, like, offensive killing abilities. I think uh, Brimstone has an ultimate that can... Wait, like, wait, 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 wait. So you gave everybody utility abilities and then somebody power word kill? Yes. What yeah. the fuck? Yeah, like Viper. Viper's a person that I used to play. Um, Ultimate is Viper's Pit. You make this big cloud of smoke, and everybody in the smoke has their armor rating reduced to the minimum as they stand in it. It, like, ticks off. And then when they leave, it goes back up. But that's, like, the perfect philosophy of what I think the abilities were supposed to be based on looking at her and the other characters in the game they're supposed to assist your ability to shoot people or assist your ability to take a point if you're talking about the healers like enhance the play experience and add a layer of complexity on top of it and instead they literally gave a character a rocket launcher and said oh shoot good shoot good by corner kill everyone on other side like what and honestly, that was the thing for me where I was like, this does not seem like it's in good hands and it's not interesting enough for me to hang on and wait for it to be put in good hands. So I'm out. Also, I'm not restarting my computer to play your game. That's stupid. That's a different problem, though. I never restart my computer. Fuck you, Tencent. Is that a problem? <laughs> Jake? Do you think Tencent and Tom Brady are like the same like alien AI? Jesse, yes. do you want to talk about and get out all these venting frustrations you have at Tom Brady? Not really. I want to just slowly simmer them for the next like twenty years. Like oh. you know, the worst right. part. The worst part about it is, I absolutely think watching him play is beautiful. It it is like watching any other pro professional athlete play. I was gonna say pro gamer play, but that's like a little wonky <laughs> of a term there. Um, it's just really. It's just very obnoxious at this point where I'm like, all right, just let's just get over with this. <laughs> if he was in a green jersey, would it make it better? Uh, externally, yes. Internally, <laughs> very conflicted. <laughs> uh, that said, wouldn't say no, you know? You know, another thing that um, professional sports have uh, that maybe some esports need to consider adopting? Gambling. Yes. Well, honestly, uh, I'm I, I'm gonna take a controversial stance here. CS:GO is a lot more interesting when you can gamble. Hate me, but I'm right. Sure. I mean, huh. you're right. I wasn't going there, but if you want to go there, please continue along this path, Ben. That was a hell of a throwaway joke I just made. You sure? Yeah, I didn't have anything to back <laughs> that up at all. <laughs> yeah, nope, nope. You were just gambling. Yeah, yeah I was like I, just betting. I mean, CS:GO was kind of extremely po propped up by the skin system. Like the fact oh, that yeah, the game you brought that up too. Yeah, the fact that the game like essentially generated convertible currency and you could bet with all of that and you know there was value inside of the matches that was more than just what you were playing. It became like sports equipment in a way. Huh. It really did. Dogecoins? No. Huh. Well, I mean I think they shut down a lot of the gambling. I'm sure there's probably still ways you can do it, but... Yeah, and CSGO. 
yeah, most of the gambling is gone. And you know, I don't want to like say that I converted a lot of my liquid assets to Doge coins, but a friend of mine did. I converted all of mine to an Op Asimov at one point, but the path that I was going before we hit the gambling <laughs> little derailed comment right there uh, was that it needs to be playable at a casual level and understood at a casual level so that people watching it can kind of have some semblance of an idea of what's going on. Like, Mazio, you could get some people together and play football, right? I used to, yeah. I mean, I'm yeah, yeah, real yeah. out of shape now, but sure. And it's not complicated enough that you have to, like, debrief them for five hours on how to play football. You can, like, you can dumb it down enough so that it's still enjoyable and you're still technically playing football. Right? Even though you're not maybe following all of the rules. Yeah, like like the soccer thing. It's just all foot stuff. Yeah, yeah. it's all foot stuff. Foot skateball. Um, if you're, interested, you if you're interested, feel free to Google foot stuff, but we nope. do not endorse that process. I do not it. Google that for your own safety. Google it. Jake, stop it. <laughs> um, and I think that's something that also uh, Valorant and Overwatch, I think, possibly struggled with where like Valorant for me to play and get into uh involved definitely a number of uh hours of play because it's always constantly competitive and quick play in Overwatch is just a hot mess that has no resemblance to what goes on in ranked well I mean the purpose of quick play in Overwatch was justice for Harambe so that's, yeah. Good luck Everybody getting that one to? out. <laughs> uh. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, you can play basketball with your friends, but no one's calling a technical foul. You know. I've had fouls called is... on me in friendly games. Have you, actually? Yeah, I clotheslined somebody, though, so it was fair. Okay, well, uh, <laughs> I, I, uh, maybe that's fair. <laughs> I then. also kidney-punched a guy once because it was funny. Maybe, yeah, okay. He punched uh, me first. We don't play basketball with Mazio then. But anyway. Well, you're you're yeah. both a lot I'm smaller short, than me. So that, that was never going to happen. Let's, let's Genu- play basketball on a half court. Generally. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll do a <laughs> full court and pace. I'll just stay Let's like. Just take and gut. What the hell? I'll just stay very far away. We'll play full court. But. Oh, no. I can't. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> that's the thing. Like, I'll, I'll just I'll jog away. We'll just we'll maintain the distance the whole time so we can stay alive. You know, not not to be judgy on Jake or anything, but do you really think you're in that much better athletic shape than I am? Uh, right now, no. Actually. Yeah, yeah. Right now, absolutely not. At a point, I probably oh, could. definitely. I mean, you got you're 15 years younger than me, but at the moment, I'll bring Heelys. How about that? We'll play on Heelys, and I'll roll away. But anyway, yeah. I mean, there's no difference between going back to Valorant like Valorant's play in just competitive ranked or I think even quick play. I don't think there's a difference in like the way that the game plays there and the competitive match. And the same thing with PUBG and all pretty much every single esport. Um the ban phase is different in um League of Legends. They do that differently. They actually do it I think like you like they used to do it um in League where it's like alternating bands. But it begs the question is is that something that esports are hindered by? The fact that they not only need to make themselves viewable, playable professionally, but also playable casually. And like who handles that well? Hmm. I think I think I... did you have something Amanda or should I jump in? No, go ahead. I um I think that might be a fallacy. I know that I I know that I've said those words frequently in the last like couple of episodes, but maybe that is a fallacy. Maybe the fallacy is that, you know, when you're playing football with your friends, you're aware of the fact that you're playing, you know, you're not in the NFL. And maybe that's part of the issue when you come into something when you come to any esport is that you're aware of the fact that you're playing something that is not the highest level of that particular game, but you don't feel that way when you play a narrative game. Jedi Fallen Order or Borderlands 3, you don't feel 
the inadequacies of missing that, you know, key play and costing your team a game. Whereas in those games you do, even when it is casual, and I think you see a lot of conflict in things like quick play or casual or they all call them the same, like two or three things, right? It doesn't matter what game it is. Normal. There's always a fight where somebody's like, oh man, get it together. And somebody else is like, this is casual. I came here to poop the bed. The amount of times that I've typed in chat, it's flex. Shut up. Like, I can't even count. Flex right, key but there's there's no I think I think the maybe question this is, is where you're going, Mezios. There's no like border. There's no sharp border or like well, difference in thought. Do like, you owe it NFL. to your team to play? Are you obligated by virtue of the fact that you are playing something that is a sport to try hard to win, regardless of whether or not you're playing casual flex or serious competitive? Well, I mean, if I'm at like a park playing basketball, it's it all depends on the crowd. Like you're you're able to socially read the group, and that kind of doesn't happen in a League of Legends lobby. I mean, it might if someone yeah. types some outrageous stuff in chat in the beginning, and we're like, okay, it's one of those games. Who's playing on a potato? Yeah, who's playing on a potato? I don't know. Ask your mom. But like, hold on, <laughs> let me ask your mom for you. Yeah, it's it's a different situation. I mean. I think it's much more about the social dynamic. And sometimes that shines through in esports, but I don't think it does most of the time. That's just inhibited by the, the screen separating you from your team and the lack of voice chat. No, I think so that... Do... Go ahead, Amanda. Do we think it's impossible then for esports to have a truly casual version of them like normal sports do? Because you'll never know who you'll get matched with. Because most of them are global now, right? Minus China, because China has a lot of weird bands. Um, League is regional. Yeah. Um. When we think about T-ball, did anybody here ever play T-ball? Yes, I broke both my front teeth. In high school? And I quit. Oh, T-ball's great, right? Well, I love T-ball, but when you play T-ball, right, as a kid, as an adult, you don't keep score because you're realistically there to drink and have a good time. But... When you think back to playing it as a kid, although Amanda didn't play it to high school, so this may be a totally different experience. We spent most of the time we were on the bench trying to keep score. Like, in the dirt, we would keep score. Even though the adults would never tell us the score of the game. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is maybe a quality that we want to be a fallacy. Like, the three of us in particular want to be a fallacy. That a game can both be just a game and not just a game, or be a game and a sport, and maybe that is a significant line in between this, in between the two. Once it's a sport, signing up means you're obligated to try to win. A friend of mine, um, who I played various things with over the years, including a lot of fantasy football, we have um, a football we had until COVID destroyed it. A full dynasty league, like full uh, defensive players. Usually you just pick a defense for fantasy football, but like we had full defensive players. We had a 53-man roster, 22 starters, played two games per week, double quarterbacks, lots of advanced scoring rules. And, you know, the number one problem with that league was that somebody would go 0-4, And they would basically go on, well, I've lost the season and I no longer care because I'm no longer invested. And we kept trying to implement rules to get people to take losing seasons seriously. And I said, you know, that's not a thing we can do. Like after maybe five or six years of trying it, like we just gave up and we're like, yeah, like you're 0-4, you're probably checked out on us. You're 0-8, you're definitely checked out on us. You don't care. and to that end, I think there is a an element in casual games where if I'm in a sport that's a casual format, but my team goes down or I'm down and it doesn't feel good or it doesn't feel like I'm going to win, because it's the casual version, I just straight up check out. The rules of the game yeah. prohibit me from quitting in most of these games. Overwatch doesn't, but in most of these games, I'm prohibited from quitting. But I'm no longer really trying to win, and the game sort of goes sideways and doesn't quite work well. And I think we've all felt that in the games that we're talking about. 
which is also to go back to Magic, why a lot of times Magic players just scoop or concede. Like, if I know the game is over based upon my hand and your board, like, the board's terrible, I don't have anything in my hand, and I know there's nothing I can draw, even if it's 40 to 1, I'll stick it out. Like, if there's zero that I can draw to get me out of this mess, scoop it and play again. Why am I going to sit here and lose a game slow? Unless I, you're Amanda. What? Yeah. Unless you're Amanda. Unless you're Amanda. <laughs> which I think the refuses point, to concede because she's stubborn. I think the point we're kind of dancing around here is that players, in a casual sense, have agency over the way that the game is operated. Like, park mm. basketball is kind of dictated by the people that we're playing with. And to some extent, in your Magic example, the rules, the social rules of the game are dictated by the player. Like, if they deem that this game is too far gone, they are allowed to concede and leave. And that's not generally the case in a lot of, like, e-sporty games. Like, you're banned if you leave enough Valorant games. You're banned if you leave enough League games. You don't have any agency over the design or the play of the game other than right. your, your performance, which is sometimes forced. Because, you know, if you say, I think it's better if I go mid this game, you can't just decide that. You needed to queue for a role, and the game gave you a role. It, you know, yeah. the basketball in a park setting has sort of, it's like a genealogical offshoot from professional. They've evolved in different directions, and it's allowed to, but that's not viable in a video game sense because there needs to be a designer, there needs to be programmers behind it implementing those evolutions. Yeah. All right, good ass GG. I'm so, I'm sorry. I'm thinking. No, I'm I'm processing what you said, and I'm trying to find out if there's anything you missed in it, and I don't think there is. I I think there is like there's the confluence and the synergy to all the things that we talked about, but functionally, one of the one of the major things that mm, nope, scrap that. That's not right. I think uh, what Jake said also. I know we be, we've beaten on Overwatch, but it it's why Overwatch has suffered so much is because they're trying to maintain the casual ver like maintain this casual atmosphere of the game, and also a league version of the game. If they want to maintain the casual one, and they only develop and enhance the league version, and those trickle down to our us poor bronze players or whatever, it's horrible. It's awful to play. Because we're just not at that skill level. I feel like it has to... You either have to design your game to be a sport and it's going to be competitive and people are going to have to learn that it's going to be competitive and that's how it is, or you maintain it as a casual one. Well, I think, too, there's a lot... In Overwatch used to offer like, points towards gold weapons, but there's a lot to the problem of the rewards are built on the competitive scene and I personally, and maybe this isn't just me, I thought this was kind of a me thing. If there's a comp scene, I find it very difficult to play casual. Borderline impossible. Agreed. Unless I'm truly just not interested in playing. Right. In which case, why am I, why am I even logging in at that point? Yeah, I'm always going to play the most competitive mode. And it might not even be something that I necessarily want. Like, Rocket League... I'm going to go into ranked, but I don't take it seriously. But I'm going to go into ranked. Right, because if I win in ranked, it's better to win one out of four in ranked than two out of four in casual. From my yeah. perspective. Yeah, I no, I completely agree. Man, how do you feel about that? I'm trying to think of whenever I queue up for Apex, regardless if I queue up for ranked or I queue up for trios or duos, like I have the same mentality. Going into like, there's no casual version of Apex. Never, like, never have I ever queued up for Apex and be like, I'll just, you know, play some game of Apex. It's, I'm playing Apex to win or murder people. <laughs> like, whereas Overwatch was a very different mentality. Like, I could hop on Overwatch and say, I'll just fart around and quick play for a bit, right? Well, and I if I wanted to actually take it seriously, I'll play ranked, but. I think that's, again, I think that's why Overwatch has suffered so much. Yeah, and I, I think, too, you never hear of a competitive game surviving on its casual scene. You hear lots of games survive on its competitive scene. 
Yeah. Well, you need so I. You need a way to bring in new players to keep the lifeblood of the competitive going, and I think Overwatch tries that with the quick play, where anyone can just jump in and play the game, and hopefully maybe have enough interest to watch the league or have enough interest to go on to play competitive. But it's such a stark difference in mentalities between quick play and ranked that that just doesn't happen. Yeah, I mean, nowadays, most of the competitive things that I watch, I I honestly don't watch a lot of competitive, like, League of Legends, even though I play a lot of League. But, like, the UFC, I watch UFC quite a bit. I'm certainly never getting into any sort of casual form of, like, sport fighting. I'm good. I'll keep my brain as much as I have left of it, you know. It's just, I, I don't think that you necessarily need it. I think that it is possible to have a competitive sport that is inaccessible to a base of the audience. I think well, that... so. The key is it can't be inaccessible to like ninety percent. There has to be a way to get in, even if it's you need to devote a lot of time and energy to it, like league. But the payoff is worth it. I do think, though, being able to be spectated is very it does offer a broader series of options and can help games survive in different ways um because i've started watching competitive league and i think it is like there's a reason it's it's been so successful it's very very watchable and they have figured out the camera moves and the other things that a lot of the other games never did mhm mhm yeah the camera perspective of mobas is very helpful for broadcasting so let's make a battle royale MOBA style game. Yes. I still think Apex is the the best battle royale out there. It's, it still has a lot of work so that from, needs to be done. From a play perspective, I agree. Yeah, I, I'd agree as well. Yeah. Um, but I think what we touched upon in this podcast so far, since we're coming up on an hour or maybe a little over an hour, 102. Um, yeah. Is that. It's a very different mindset going in if you're going to develop an eSport from a game. If you're going to develop a game and you know you want it to be an eSport, you have to consider how watchable is it, the audience perspective. Is it enjoyable? Can I get the audience riled up for it? Whereas with a normal game, you're really only considering, I need to cater to the player's needs and how this feels to a single player or like a team, whatever have you. Also, there needs to be the correct amount of pacing and display of skills so that the audience can feel those moments of excitement and loss and process them enough to keep them interested in the game and coming back for more. And there needs to be a strong, uh, I guess, view on this is a competitive game. It's ne- it, will, it will not be casual. We can't maintain a casual and a competitive sense. If we're going to make it competitive, we have to build for it to be competitive. Does that summarize things? Did I miss something? Yeah, okay, I'd say uh, the only thing I might add to that is just design concessions are generally not great. Like sometimes I, I think they have to be had for financial reasons. Like, you know, you got to sell a game, you got to make your money back in development, but a lot of the issues that we've pointed out today seem to be centered around design concessions. Maybe that's something we could talk about in the future. I think design you- concessions, I think that's actually a really good idea because I think there is definitely a lot to be said for you have to make choices as an artist and those choices have to be correct to achieve higher powers of things. And mm-hmm. the more difficult the piece of art you're attempting is the better those choices have to be, right? Like pouring a bronze sculpture where you really, after the mold is done, what are your options again? Versus... Yeah, you don't want to eyeball that. Sorry, go yeah. ahead. Yeah, no, you don't want to like... I, you don't want to sit there and like uh, take a guess. Versus, you know, writing a novel where when you go into edits, you might scrap whole chapters, subplots, plots, do full rewrites. I think games design suffers from a problem wherein you make a choice and you're committed. But even by making a concession, like, any choice you make has concessions attached to it. Speaking from personal experience, 
uh, on the project that I'm currently working on. Uh, project Sam, I got and made the executive decision that it needed to be like gutted <laughs> and like fully redone. Um, and I knew it needed to be for a while, but it was so hard to get everyone else on board with the idea of completely abandoning what we had spent a year or so building for something better because they were all so committed to those designs or they said, well, it's too late now. We can't change it. Whereas like, I've always had the mentality of if it's not working, just scrap it and start over. Like I do it all the time with my code. Like I have, I have spent like hours writing something in code and if it just doesn't work or there's too many errors, I'm like, fuck it. And I delete everything and I just start again. Like I, I have no personal attachment to such things, but when it comes to like designing and developing a game, it's hard after you spent months or years building something only to find out it doesn't work. And it's either do you commit and you keep going or do you bite the bullet and scrap it? And at a professional level, like they just can't afford it. Yeah. Yeah. At the logistical level, they just can't afford to do it. I think the, while the definition of scrapping might vary, like I know for me, because most of my projects center around school, scrapping it ends up being like, all right, let's cap it off and submit this. And that's that. And, you know, there's going to be glaring flaws that I'm aware of and I can't fix, but try to, do it better next time um it's almost like the sunk cost problem the sunk cost fallacy i didn't want to say fallacy but (laughs) yeah but i mean it is it it... yes that's it's that's its fucking name i know i know it's it's i don't know sometimes i i think you kind of have to just cap things off and move on but I, i think that's something that we could probably expand into a whole episode of its own yeah for sure but otherwise good episode guys full show thanks for everyone that was listening and we'll talk to you in the next one bye everyone quack quack goodbye goodbye